The Heather McCoy Show. And welcome to The Heather McCoy Show. In our middle segment today, I'll be talking with Michelle Simon, who is a public health lawyer who recently released a report called Whitewashed, How Industry and Government Promote Dairy Junk Foods. Then rounding out the hour, we'll have Robert Larson join us from the other side of the Cleveland National Forest. But first, we'll start off with our regular contributor, the blogger behind FieldTheSchemes.com, Neil DeMouse, and successful Kickstarter campaign, too. <laughs> then welcome to the show, Neil. <laughs> hey, I, I, is that going to be my uh, my uh, my uh, credit from now on? Yeah. Meet a man who successfully ran a Kickstarter <laughs> campaign. Well, like now that the book is funded and stuff, like I can see this being an NPR sensation. Where once it's published, you're getting a lot of ISDN calls to be on different NPR stations around the world to talk sure. about to talk about the Brooklyn phenomenon. Yeah, yeah. I can I can I can see it as well. You know, <laughs> assuming Brooklyn is still uh, is still hot next year, it might have moved on to I don't know Austin or El Paso or something like that. Oh, definitely. Um, you have a piece on the Oakland A's lease extension mess, which um, it's on Sports on Earth, which does a great job of both summarizing and what led up to the city officials not showing up to the meeting um, last week in which they were supposed to vote on the lease extension, as well as how the with the Oakland uh, Raiders involved too, how this is like a multi-dimensional game of chess as well. In the short term, does it make sense for all the parties to just involve just to main you know just to maintain the status quo from here on out for a little while longer or? yeah kind of i mean I, I think one of the phrases i used was multilateral game of chicken um <laughs> so it's you, but you know it, it's one of those things right where you simultaneously trying to accomplish something and trying to do nothing um because you don't really want to be the one to make the first move um, and, it, you know, it, it's weird because everybody kind of is counterposed against different, a different couple of opponents, right? So you've got, you know, the A's who want to get a stadium deal out of Oakland, but only in the place that they want it to, and they want it to be where, you know, on the same site the Raiders want, and the Raiders want, you know, to make sure that they get in before the A's do, but... Also, at the same time, they want to, um, you know, leverage for the most money that they can. And then there's the San Jose piece, and Major League Baseball doesn't want the A's to go to San Jose, and they don't want San Jose to sue them, successfully sue them over their antitrust exemption. But they also don't want, um, you know, they want the A's to be able to use it as leverage to try and get money out of Oak. You know, I mean, it's, it's incredibly, incredibly complicated. I think you did a good, good job summarizing the summary. Um, but it's an incredibly complicated, convoluted, multi-party, um, you know, negotiation. A negotiation is probably way too, too polite a term for it, for it you know. Um, multi-way blackmail threat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so I'm, you know, I mean, again, while I, I was surprised that the Oakland City Council and, and City, you know, administration um, dealt with this p- proposal for a n- new lease extension by just not showing up and denying the stadium authority a quorum. That was that was a little uh, uh, impressively passive aggressive. Um, <laughs> but I, you know, while I was surprised at that, I am not surprised that they're sort of trying to throw a wrench into the works or at least trying to stall on it because you know they, they don't particularly have any incentive to give. Lou Wolf a big lease extension, especially if it's the kind that he's been proposing, where it's a lease extension if he wants it, but if he wants to opt out, he gets to opt out. So, you know, what's the, what's the benefit there? Yeah, exactly. But Mark Davis, the owner of the Raiders, he doesn't seem to be afraid to, you know, call chicken or call someone's bluff. He just wants to see the, you know, the stadium knocked down and build a new football arena. He seems like the one 
that you know has his guns blazing in this battle more than anyone else. Yeah, the question is whether the gun's loaded, right? I yeah. mean, because what is he going to do if he doesn't get what he wants? Um, you know, he, there's all this idea that, oh, he's going to move to L.A., but he hasn't done it so far. Um, and if L.A. were such a great option for him, then, or, you know, San Antonio or wherever else you want to, you know, talk about, um, presumably he would have jumped at it. I mean, he's not the kind of guy who's, who's, uh, you know, if he's anything like his dad, <laughs> he's not the kind of guy who's going to, you know, give up more, a chance at more money just in order to uh, show his loyalty to his hometown. Um, and I actually spent all time yesterday looking at, you know, trying to like run some regression analyses, which I want to do some more work on, about how much more, what, what the value is of the Raiders, of a team, an NFL team in L.A. versus an NFL team in Oakland. Um, and it seems like it's probably, you probably get a boost of like between 200 and 400 million dollars, um, which is a lot of money. Um, but it's not necessarily a lot of money if you then had to spend $500 million towards a new stadium. So I think that's some of what the calculus here is. We've talked about this before, that, you know, Los Angeles, if you were a baseball team or a basketball team, right, if you're Steve Ballmer buying the Clippers, being in Los Angeles is a huge boon because you get those giant cable contracts. There are no giant cable contracts in the NFL. It's all about the, the national money. So yeah. it doesn't matter nearly as much where you are. It matters some but it doesn't matter nearly as much. So that's the next thing I really want to look into is, you know, again, we've got, you know, all these threats being levied back and forth, and I want to see what the legitimacy is of the threats of the A's and the, and the Raiders, you know. If someone were to call their bluff and say, okay, fine, we're not, uh, we're not going to give you what you want, what would they be able to do? Not just what would they want to do, but what would they be able to do? Well, what, what, what cards are they holding? About calling their bluff, there is talk about two stadiums possibly being built where the Oakland Coliseum now stands. If I was an elected official, the furthest I would go to propose, uh, you know, resolving the situation would be knock down Mount Davis, fill in the extra foul territory seats for or with seats because right now that territory is used for the football configuration. And then I just let the Raiders walk because that seems like the cheapest solution that would fulfill both teams' needs. Yeah, I'm not sure why they don't do that. Part of it may be that there are more, at least a perception that there are more Raiders fans than A's fans, or more people who care strongly about the Raiders than the A's. Yeah. But not necessarily, I don't necessarily know is true, um, but that certainly seems to be one perception. Um, you know, that's obviously the cheapest option. Yeah, that um, would be the you know, Tearing down Mount Davis wouldn't be cost a lot. I don't know how easily you could fill in the extra foul territory just because you might have to lower the field and then you get weird things with sight lines. Um, or else, you know, because you can't have, like, just seats sitting flat on that, on that area. Oh, that's true, yeah. Some sort of slope. Um, but it's certainly worth, worth looking into. I mean, you know, the, I feel like a lot of this talk is, you know, how can we find a solution to get new stadiums for both the A's and the Raiders? And while you can do it in terms of, you know, either picking two different sites or picking two different ends of the Coliseum parking lot, um, the, then you have the next question, which is, how on earth do you pay for this? And, you know, it would be tremendously expensive to build, to build two stadiums. You know, you're probably talking billion and a half, maybe closer to $2 billion. Um, and Wolf and Davis are not going to come up with the bulk of that money, I doubt. So it's, uh, uh, you know, you're, you're getting past the problem of where do we put the teams to have the much bigger problem of how do we pay for new stadiums for the teams. Uh, and again, yeah, I, I do wonder whether if you sat down and looked at uh, what, 
you as a city and what you as a sports franchise could get from remodeling the Coliseum is, is you know, crazy as that sounds, given that everybody you know, talks about, oh, my God, the Coliseum is, you know, just an absolute pit. Um, I'd love to see cost-benefit analysis of what could you do with the Coliseum, and even if it didn't give you everything that you would get from a brand-new stadium, would it get you a better bang for your buck, given that it would cost a lot less than building something totally new? I don't know what the answer would be, um, but it seems like nobody's asking that question. Um, so, I, I, again, I would love to see... That would be a perfect thing for the Oakland City Council to spend its time doing now that they're not going to the city authority meeting. Well, the Oakland, that's a city that actually cut their funding for zoos recently, as you point out. So that actually filled, you know, build two stadiums seems crazy. Oh, I thought you were going to say so they could actually play, have the Raiders play in the zoo. Oh, that, that, would, that too. <laughs> that would also be appropriate. Um, the, uh, the, um, the, um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, in the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, there is a column arguing for the uh, public funding of the Buxney Arena using what you call, quote, the dreaded coffee analogy. Why is that so dreaded? Couldn't you argue that keeping your current high school open and staffed at, you know, staffed well only costs $3.50 a person? So that $10 per person for Miller Park, for example, would seem much more of an t- expensive ticket item? Um. Yeah, I mean, the, the problem with it is that any time you try to convert expenditures into, it's only costing each individual person, not even taxpayer, but person, right? So you're yeah. including babies. Um, <laughs> you know, it's only costing your uh, one-year-old two, you know, uh, uh, coffees per year. Um, anything really looks ridiculous, you know? I mean, nothing really costs that much um, on that scale. Um, And, you know, none of us, unless we're paying, you know, unless we're so rich that our taxes almost don't matter to us, um, none of us are paying insane amounts of taxes, and all little slices are going for a whole bunch of different things. Um, So it's something that seems to come up a lot with, with, uh, you know, sports projects and, um, you know, other projects as well, where people defending it say, oh, well, look, you know, it's, it's only a matter of a few dollars per person. Um, yes, that's right. And, you know, anything that you want your government to do is only a few dollars per person, pretty much. So um, that, that's why I sort of, you know, reacted against it was, uh, was, you know, man, do we have to go through this all over again to say, yes, dollars add up. And yeah. $5 at a time per person, when you have millions of people, is millions of dollars. Wow, math! Yeah, this also seems to come up with taxes for stadium bonds. Like, oh, it's only a few pennies each time, and and it's you know, and to fund like stadium bond initiatives. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and again, you know, if you pick a, if you divide it by enough people, and you um, pick a short enough time period, so it's by, per year or per month or per day, um, then it's not a whole lot of whole lot of money, but it adds up. Yeah, you know, and some, somehow when the it, the shoe is on the other foot, and we're talking about I don't know a tax increase or something like that, um, or spending on schools or welfare programs or you know Lord knows what, um, nobody seems to to uh, say well you know but look how little it is per day. I mean I guess some people do say how little it is per day, but it, it, it's it's I, I don't I don't think it's a great argument again because you know the, the, what you should be talking about is what else could we be doing with the money. Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, it, even if it's $5 a day per person, or $5 a year per person, um, you know, $5 a year per person could fund all sorts of other things. Like I said, I could give another 19 libraries or, you know, a whole bunch of different, uh, different other options. 
So, uh, you know, I, I just... I cringe whenever I see that argument because I feel like it's the wrong way of looking at things. Oh, definitely. Keeping on the theme of bang for your buck, um, can you explain further Victor Matheson's concept of the projected SUI? I'm not sure I have a grasp on that yet. Oh, God. I, I, you know, I, I only dimly understand it. I think the really simple way of, of putting it, and I, I haven't talked to Victor you know, since he wrote this piece in uh, 538, um, the simple way of explaining it is he's trying to figure out, again, bang for your buck for soccer stadiums, uh, for World Cup stadiums. So he's saying how much is, did each country spend and how many um, basically games per, game person viewing opportunities are you getting. Um, and he's counting it instead of uh, expending per person, he's counting it in spending per stadium full of people watching a game. Um, it's a little bit of a weird way of, of doing it, but the, the, you know, for comparison purposes, it still works out the same way, which is that you know, as much as we've seen other nations like South Africa spend a ridiculous amount of money on World Cup stadiums, Brazil is spending a hyper-ridiculous <laughs> amount of money um, and will probably set the record for you know, the most expenditure for you know, the least actual games that people will be watching in these new stadiums over, over on com- you know, in oncoming years. Um, the uh, silver lining, if there is one, is that Brazil will probably only hold its record for a few years because if uh, Russia doesn't break the record in 2018, then Qatar, if they still have the games in 2022, undoubtedly will because Qatar, you know, is, uh, you know, willing to shovel any amounts of money and or the bodies of migrant workers <laughs> into the World Cup hole. Oh, wow. Um, just one more. I'll leave off with another World Cup question. It's not something you covered on your blog, but it's um, a TV question I'll finish off with today. I have a friend that works for Univision, and she was saying that the management was ecstatic at the ratings they've been getting to, to the games um, due to like non-speaking people, uh, non-Spanish-speaking people without cable turning t- tuning into the games. Um, is this something that could lead to the reverse of English-speaking broadcasters paying a ton of sporting events that were once on public TV to cable so they can kind of drive their subscriber rates higher for the cable companies to the cable channel? So you're saying, do you think that they'll push things back onto, onto regular TV? To yeah, avoid because they can get a what? bigger overall number. Sorry? They can get a bigger overall number if it's on public TV. Um, yeah, but they can't necessarily get more money. I don't know. I don't... I, I, you know... I, I don't really understand how what makes the cable industry the most money, and I don't know if they understand what makes them the most money. Um, and I hope it's probably some of it is short term versus long term. Um, you know, the number of people I think who are not just watching Univision, but who are you know watching on uh, the internet or watching pirated streams or watching. I don't know if you saw about this thing where uh, where FIFA cracked down on a Twitter feed that was automatic had a bot that was automatically tweeting. Um, animated gifs of every goal right after it was scored, <laughs> and this is apparently how lots of people have been watching the games because they, you know, they're in Africa somewhere and they don't have cable TV, so they haven't been able to get access to watch the games. But they can follow on Twitter, and they've been like seeing the goals. And FIFA like moved to shut it down, and people are outraged and saying, "How are we going to watch the games now if we can't watch them on Twitter?" Um, it's really strange. Um, and I imagine five to ten years from now, we'll all look back at this and say, wow, can you imagine we were talking about watching sporting events on your television? Remember those things? Yeah. Um, but, uh, but for now, yeah, it's kind of a wreck. 
Yeah, Neil DeVos, he runs fieldofschemes.com. He, that's a website where you can find his work. He wrote a book on the same by the same name. Brooklyn Wars is coming soon, so look out for that. When are you going to uh, finish that? In like a year or two? Or Yeah, I think it's uh, next, I, I promise, next April. So I think I can actually shoot for next April. Oh, that's awesome. And uh, thanks again for being a guest on the show, and we'll talk to you next week. Absolutely. Talk next week. Okay, Bye. this is the McCoy Show.